You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Well, you can open your Bibles again today uh, over to John chapter 5. So we spent a few weeks uh, primarily on John chapter 5, verse 8, and and the story uh, around that, which has to do with um, the man that was healed uh, at the at the gate at the pool, and we talked through that story. We brought a lot of things out of it. We've again, this is our third week uh, in this series, but. One thing that we focused on, this is all I want to bring. We're going to go on to some new scriptures today. But I want to look at verse 8, if you want to look there with me. John chapter 5, verse 8. And it says, Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Most of you remember this story. Immediately the man was healed and recovered his strength and picked up his pallet and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. And that's what we've been talking about is that from this point on, Jesus began to be in a confrontation with the religious leaders of the day for a number of reasons, and we're going to look at some other ones today, but primarily because he started doing these miracles on the Sabbath. And to them, the Sabbath was a day of of rest. It was a day, again, we talked about this last week, that you know, the, the leaders came along then and said to this man, it's not lawful for you to, uh, to do these things on the Sabbath, to be healed, to pick it to the man. They said, uh, it's not, sorry, I have a real hard time doing three things at once. If I were female, I could do all of this at once, not lose a beat, have three conversations at the same time. All right, let me just get this going. I think it'll be helpful for you or I wouldn't even care. All right, let's try this again. The leader said to this man, I mean, here's this guy that's been miraculously healed, uh, crippled for 38 years, and uh, he gets healed, and their problem is that he's carrying his mat around with him. But the point of that and the reason that was an issue was because they believed that they had made a huge list. I told you last week, I think, that by the time Jesus walked the earth, God said, keep the Sabbath holy. That's what the Father said. By the time Jesus walked the earth, they had 650 laws about what that meant to keep the Sabbath holy. You can only walk this distance. You can only pick up this much weight. You can't do this. You can do this. And and so by the time Jesus comes, they accuse him of breaking the Sabbath. And we saw last week, he never broke the commandment of the Sabbath, but he did break their traditions. And he did it in a number of ways. And he was not afraid to break the traditions of men in order to fulfill the will of God. But so we see this statement here in, uh, it's actually in verse 9, now that day was the Sabbath. So we begin this time in Jesus' ministry where now from there on, they see that as heresy. They see that as a violation 
of the law and they begin to question his authority and who he is and what he's doing. And this contention goes on that leads all the way down to the cross. It leads all the way down. This conflict just continues. So we looked at that. We looked at a number of other things. I want to jump down today to verse 16. John chapter 5, still verse 16. And let's look at, I love the, the way that Jesus answered this because you have this whole dialogue back and forth between the, uh, the, the rulers, the religious leaders and the man and, and all of these things. And then they make these accusations against Jesus. And in verse 16, this is what you have up there is from the Amplified Bible. It says, for this reason, the Jews began to persecute annoy and torment Jesus and sought to kill him because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So you can see that this was a big deal to the religious leaders, all right? They sought to kill him because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So this this conflict boiled down to that the rulers perceived Jesus as a threat to their authority and to their power and to their control over Israel at the time. Because again, we all know that Israel was occupied by Rome at the time, but Rome did that everywhere. They allowed local authority to continue to rule as long as they subjected themselves to Rome. And so we see these, and at the cross and at at his trial, you see these different layers. You see the religious leaders making accusations and then having to take that to Rome uh, and and asking Rome to go ahead and execute this man and, and all of that. So they perceived Jesus as a threat to what they had established. And we've made this statement. We'll just touch on it again today. We've made it over and over Human government doesn't like to be told there's a higher authority than them. We've seen this throughout the earth, throughout time. And, and it's, it's no different today. And, and I'm not saying everybody that works in government has this mentality. I'm just saying human government wants to be the top authority. And so when there's, there's a, a threat to their system and, and somebody's saying, you know what? Who are we supposed to obey? This is what the disciples did in the book of Acts. Who are we supposed to obey? You know, God or or you? And they went ahead and obeyed God because they saw God as a higher authority than man, than human government. And so this is what's going on there. So again, Jesus never broke the commandment of the Sabbath. There were, and, and one of these weeks, uh, not today, I'm gonna, I wanna do a whole study on the Sabbath with you. And that may sound kind of dry, but it's not. The principles of the Sabbath are powerful and they were given. We see them in the creation story. And actually in the creation story there, I'll just give you this today. There are, there are two words that are used throughout the creation story to talk about the elements, the principles that are contained in the idea of Sabbath. One of them is Shabbat. It is the word where, where we've transliterated uh, into Sabbath. Okay, but it's the idea of a day of rest. It is the idea of resting from labor. And we see that God said that on the seventh day, he rested from his labor. Okay, he rested there from the labor of creation. And that's going to be important in just a minute. But God rested from his labor. And and then that 
all of that got brought into the law of Moses and, and the seventh day was to be a day of rest. And then we set about detailing what that means and got ourselves in trouble, which is what we do with laws. We have to write more and more and more and more laws to try and figure out what a law means. It's just the, the nature of human beings. We do it all the time. The second word that's found in the creation story had to do with God setting mankind in the garden, and that was a, it's a Hebrew word, N-A-W-E-H. I don't know if that's Nawe or I don't know how you pronounce that, but anyway, N-A-W-E-H. And that means, the meaning in that one is a settling down or a planting or abiding or camping, but setting up your household in the presence of God, settling down in the presence of God. So those two elements are primary in the whole idea of Sabbath. It is a time to stop all the other busy stuff we're doing and settle down in the presence of God. And it was commanded that we do this cyclically, that we come back to this on a weekly basis so that, and, and it's not about a day of the week. It's the Sabbath. It's not about, for Christians in particular, and we'll look at this the day we study this, it's not about a particular day of the week because Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus, it is, we can settle down in him and separate ourselves to him and stop working for our salvation, stop working to try and make ourselves more acceptable with God. That's our Sabbath. That is our place to rest in his finished work and to settle down in his presence and to live in his presence. That's our Sabbath, okay? And so, anyway, we will talk about that in a lot more detail another day. But Jesus didn't break those things. Jesus, Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. Jesus embodied all of that. So, they come back, the leaders come back with this accusation. And Jesus answers with a series of... I love the way he answers this. He doesn't back down from what he's doing at all. You know, verse 16, again, it says, For this reason the, the Jews began to persecute Jesus continually because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So Jesus begins to answer. And let's start in verse 17. Are you with me so far? All right. Um, he answers and he says, My father... Let me back up. So here they are saying, you're doing these things. You are working on the Sabbath. Why? Because he healed someone. Another time he had somebody stretch out their hand, a withered hand. He healed somebody. He healed this man and told this man, pick up that bed and go home. Pick up what you used to lay on. Now you take it up and carry it. You have authority over that. You don't have to stay in that place anymore. I have a new life for you is what that whole thing is about. And they're saying, you did that on the day of rest. This is wrong. You've got to stop working. So Jesus comes back and he says, my father has been working until now. He has never ceased working. And I too am working. So he's not back. This did not make it better. This did not, this did not placate those who were accusing him. He said, you know what? You've got this whole thing wrong. My father has never stopped working. Well, what about the creation account where it says God rested? That's because he rested from the work of creation. 
He didn't stop blessing people. He didn't stop sending rain on both the just and the unjust. He didn't stop moving forward with covenants. He didn't stop. It wasn't like you couldn't find God on Saturday during all that time. You know, he didn't cease working. And Jesus throws it right back in their face and says, not, not only am I still working, my father has never stopped working. So that's his answer to them uh, about, the, about the Sabbath. And so he is not violating the spirit of the Sabbath. So let's go on. So he goes on, and in this passage, we're, we're not going to look at every verse, but this passage of Scripture in John chapter 5, Jesus just goes right on and makes a number of statements about who he is. He defines his person. He defines his authority. He defines his role. He defines his assignment in the earth. And he just makes these statements, which again, do not placate people who are upset with him. And I just love that. He doesn't back down at all. He comes, and why is he doing this? He's not making these statements to make people mad. He's not making these statements to just confront those who are arguing with them. That's never God's attitude ever. And when we pick up when we pick up that attitude, even if we're expressing truth, but the attitude we have in it is a real in-your-face attitude, I don't see the Lord doing that. And I believe everything he did, God is love. Everything he does comes from love. He wanted these people to know the truth. He wanted these people to recognize Messiah. And so he lays it out and he makes these, uh, he makes these statements. Okay, so uh, let's just go ahead and read verse 18. This made the Jews more determined than ever to kill him. For not only was he breaking the Sabbath from their point of view, but he was also calling God his own father. All right? And and so we see this as we go down through here. Um, We'll come back to uh, verse 19. Let's jump down to verse 21. So he says, Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life and allows them to live on, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. So Jesus is saying, I have the same power over death that the Father God does. That's what he's saying. I have authority and power over death. He proves this throughout his ministry by raising people from the dead. But that the power over death is something that is only attributed to God. All right, so Jesus saying, I have power over death. That statement is Jesus saying, I am equal with God. Part of the reason I'm going to go through these points this morning is because we have people all over the place these days that say Jesus never claimed to be God. And while we don't have we don't have a statement in the scripture in a couple of words that where Jesus said I'm God, he said the Father and I are one. He said I existed before Abraham did. He's made all of these statements in so many ways. Jesus let it be known that he was God the Son. All right, 
And the evidence of that, that the people who heard him understood that, is that they wanted to kill him for it. I mean, the the penalty in the Old Testament for blasphemy was death. And so they wanted to kill him for it. Within their law, then they needed, you know, he needed to be killed because this was the law. So for somebody today to think that, well, Jesus never never even claimed to be God. He was just a prophet. He was just a good man. He was a good teacher, you know, whatever, whatever. Those are just excuses for not recognizing who he was. He absolutely communicated to the people of his day that he was God. And and what's interesting here is that he says, I have, I have power over death. Again, I'll just switch to the New King James for... Uh, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. He makes that statement. Well, he raises the dead in his ministry, and then he makes raising the dead a part of our ministry, okay? In the Great Commission, right? Bring the gospel, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, do the things that I've been doing, and even greater works than these. I heard somebody recently who was being critical of a big ministry in the country that does tremendous good. And they were being critical of that ministry. And they said, do you believe this guy actually gets up and says that that the church, that people in the church are going to do greater works than Jesus? And this was a scholar. This is a Bible scholar. That is John chapter 14, verse 12. Specifically, Jesus said, you will do the works I've been doing and you will do greater works than these. That's not to make us haughty. It's to scare the tar out of us, but it is but it is nevertheless the truth and what he wants to do through the church in the earth. And so when I hear things like that, it's like, what Bible are you reading? I mean, it couldn't be more clear in the scripture. So he made this, not only does he, he has this power, he lives in us, he has put his spirit in us and we're to believe God for people to be raised from the dead. You say, well, I just, I'm not there. That's okay. Neither am I, okay? But that's where we're going. That's where we are standing. I know people that have seen people raised from the dead. I know a number of people that have seen several people raised from the dead. There are other places in the world where this is not that unusual, and we Americans need to get on board, okay? You all right? Okay. Verse 22. All right, he makes another one. For the Father... Judges no one, but has given all judgment, that is the prerogative of judging, back in the Amplified, to the Son, placing it entirely in his hands. So Jesus says that he has, that the authority to judge, all right, has been given to him. Now this is another one of those things that we hear all kinds of crazy things about. We're we're told, uh, you know, the world will tell you all day long, Christians aren't supposed to judge. By that, they mean you are not supposed to have an opinion about what is good and what is evil. That's not what judgment means in the scripture. There are two elements to it. One is judgment, eternal judgment. Are you going to spend eternity with God or are you going to spend eternity separated from God? We talk about getting born again. We say we receive eternal life. That's true. But we will all live eternally. Every human being that's ever existed, we have an eternal spirit on the inside of us. We will live eternally. The question is, 
Will we live in what the Bible calls spiritual death, which is separation from God, or will we live in spiritual life, in the life, in eternal life with God in Jesus Christ? All right, And the way that that, it's, it's not about our works. It's not about us doing all the right things. It is about us choosing to believe that God raised him from the dead. He died for my sins. He raised him from the dead. And I choose to accept him as Lord and Savior. And I confess it with my mouth. And from that moment forward, you are in eternal life. We are those of you who've made Jesus Lord of your life in this room. We are living in eternal life right now. We're living it on a fallen planet. It's going to get better than this, okay? We're going to get new bodies, thank God. This one hurts a lot (laughs) of the time these days, much more than it did 20 years ago. But anyway, we're going to get new bodies. We're going to be connected with him in a way that we're not now, but we are living in eternal life now. So, So that judgment belongs to Jesus. That judgment belongs only to him. And yes, it's a violation of that for us to decide that, well, that person, they're doing something, they're in this kind of sin, they're going to hell. Well, I'm hoping somebody reaches them and they're not going to hell. I'm hoping God has a great plan. I don't care how evil what they're doing right now is. God has a plan for that person's life that is tremendous. And, and what a great testimony it is where somebody comes to the Lord and they have a whole new life. And man, people don't like to see that sometimes. They want them to be punished. They want them to be, you know, cut off. And yet God still has a great plan for that person's life. Anyway, that kind of judgment, final judgment, eternal judgment, that belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone because he is God the Son and he is the son of man. He is 100% God and 100% man. He's the only one that has experienced everything that we can experience and did it without sin. All right. So that judgment belongs to him. There's another term for judgment in the scripture that talks about discerning between good and evil. That does belong to us. We're actually told to move in that judgment. We're not supposed to be ugly about it. We're not supposed to condemn people out of it, but we are supposed to know the difference between good and evil. The Holy Spirit in us will bear witness to what's good, what's evil, what lines up with God, what doesn't. So that kind of judgment does belong to us. But but Jesus says, final judgment, it's all been given to him. And the good news is Psalm 85.10 tells us that in the Son, mercy and truth, it says they've met together in most of our translations. Some of them say they've kissed. The term there actually means they're married together. They have become one. Mercy, all right, so that's God's grace, God's mercy, God's understanding where we are and who we are. All of that and truth doesn't change. Truth doesn't change because our society decides they don't like it. Doesn't change because we decide. We don't like that one, okay? I want something else to be true. Too bad. Ain't gonna happen. Truth is eternal. Truth is truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. But it says that, that see, that's why he can handle that kind of judgment and we can't. Is because mercy and truth, we know them both. And we can have them both, but they're not married in us. They are married in him. So his judgment is perfect. It's, Bible says, we're going to be awed by the beauty of it. Because we all have the questions, you know, well, 
what about this one? What about that one? What about, you know, what about, I don't know. But he does. That kind of eternal judgment belongs only to him. But it was always known that kind of eternal judgment, that belongs to God. And Jesus says, the son has been given. So again, he's saying, I am equal with the father. Total blasphemy. Okay. I love it. Just totally. He does not back down at all. And then he goes on. And in verse 23, uh, or let's just read it together. It's kind of one sentence for the father. Verse 22, for the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So he's saying, I'm worthy of worship. I'm worthy of the same honor as the father. Blasphemy, huge blasphemy if it wasn't true, but it is. But he's standing there to the people who have said, you broke the Sabbath, you know. They're getting ready to kill him. They're planning all this. They're plotting all this. And he's saying, you know what? I'm deserving of the same honor as the Father. All judgment has been given to me. And in fact, if you don't honor the Son, it's impossible to honor the Father. He says that several different ways in these next couple of chapters. If you don't honor the Son, it's not possible to honor the Father. I know somebody right now that I really love and believe in the best for. And he's come a ways, actually, to this point. But right now in his life, he says, you know, I I do believe there's a God. I, I believe that now. I believe in God. But I just can't handle this Jesus thing. Well, that doesn't work. But that's not our message to him. Our message is the Lord loves you. I mean, with member of our family, somebody we love dearly, and I believe he will come all the way around. But that's where he is right now. It's like, well, I accept God. I just don't know about this Jesus. Well, you gotta, you've got to honor the Son. And also, different, different scriptures, different part of these chapters, Jesus said, if you don't receive the messenger, if you don't receive Jesus, you can't receive the message. It's essential to be able to receive him to receive his word, okay? So, so again, making himself equal with God. And then he goes on, verse 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who, I love this, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. So we see that a number of places in the scripture. If we've received him, we've received his word, we are in everlasting life in eternal life the day you made jesus lord of your life you stepped into eternal life all right and that person shall not come into judgment but has passed from death to life all right there's some things i could say about that but i'm not gonna take the time today so he says and then what i want us to do is is just skip a couple verses here jump down uh to verse 28 and, and let's just compare these verses. So uh, again, most assuredly, verse 25, I say to you, the hour is coming now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Okay, so the dead will hear. And this hour is now, he says, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear, that means those who listen, those who receive the message, will live. All right, jump down to verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in their graves 
will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So on the first one, and, and let's take it the other way. In the second one, he says there's a time coming when everybody who's in their grave is going to hear the voice of the Son of God and they're going to rise up to judgment one way or the other. But in that first one, he said there's a day coming and now is when the dead will hear my voice, okay? And those who receive it will live. So there's two different deads in those two scriptures. The first one, he's talking about people that are alive and listening to him who are dead. He's talking about people, the people he's talking to that just said, you broke the Sabbath, we're going to kill you, okay? He's saying, you know what? The day is now when the dead, the spiritually dead those not connected with God, they're going to hear my voice. And if they receive what I'm saying, they'll enter into life. Okay. Then there's a day coming in the future where the people in the graves, he makes this, this differentiation between two kinds of dead, between people who are walking around alive and saying they know God, but have never connected with him. They're spiritually dead. We were all spiritually dead. The Bible makes it clear we were born into a condition of what the Bible calls spiritual death. Again, it's not anything to do with the body. It's about being separated from God That because of the sin of Adam. We were all born into spiritual death. And that's why the Bible says that when we receive Jesus as Lord and accept what he's done on our behalf, we get born again. Jesus said you got to be born not just of the flesh, okay, but born of the spirit in order to see the kingdom of God. All right, But I love the fact that he talked to the folks there in front of him and said, you know what, pretty soon the dead and, and today the dead are going to hear my voice and those who receive it can enter in. Then later, people who are in the grave, okay? So I can just see people scratching their heads and going, wait a minute, who's he talking to that's dead right now, you know? And the Holy Spirit going, you. And the point is, it's not to make them feel bad. It's to say, if you will receive my words, if you'll receive what I'm saying, you'll be brought into life today. You will pass from death to life. You will never face the kind of judgment we're talking about because you will have already passed from death to life. Does that make sense to you? I just, I just love that. Jesus does not back down a bit in bringing, and again, he's not doing it to make them mad. He's doing it to give them life. He's doing it to give them truth that can save them. And it's the same thing he does today. This Jesus that is being created in our midst right now and being preached that is just, he's just, he's just all love, which he is. But the definition of love is he wants the best for us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to experience eternal life and experience the 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 will of God, the purposes of God for our life today. He wants the best for us. But the one that our society is kind of trying to bring up and, and you know, parts of the church are bringing up, 
He just loves everybody. Everybody's going to heaven. Doesn't matter what you do, what you believe, where you're going, what you can fit. None of that matters because Jesus died for everybody. And so everything's okay. So just live your life and have a great time. That's called universalism. And that's been a lie from day one. And it's come through the church over and over and over throughout history. And it's always been a lie. The truth is we need to make Jesus the Lord of our lives. We need, and, and in order to do this, we have to get it in our hearts that every thought God has toward us, number one, they're as many as the sand on the seashore. That's a lot. And number two, they're all for our good. They're all for our benefit. They aren't for our destruction. And and if you're not there, if you still got questions and you're you're just boy, I don't know, you know, that's okay. Just keep pressing into him, and he will show you how good he is. He will demonstrate himself to you. He will show you how good he is. Because we got to, in order to trust him with our eternity, we've got to have some sense that God's good, and God wants good things for me, and not everything I think is good is probably good. And that's, that's, that's the tough part right there. Okay, so uh, we need to get through this. Verse 26, Jesus says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. He's saying, I am self-existent the same way God. That's a trait of God alone. He has his life within himself. He is life itself. He isn't dependent on anything or anybody for life. He, do, he, doesn't need, he doesn't need food. He doesn't need oxygen. He doesn't need the, the physical stuff that we need Okay, to be alive. God is life. Jesus says, I have that same kind of life in myself. I have that same kind of life in myself. Okay, blasphemy. All right, except that it's true, so it's not. You get what I'm saying. But to those who heard it, He's saying he's, he's the same as God, okay? So that was verse 26, right? And he has given him, this is the finish of that sentence, verse 27, has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man, all right? And then, let's see, do we have time to get into this? Verse, again, 28, 29, don't marvel at this. The hour is coming when all those who are in their graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good. So again, here he says, the, the authority of judgment has been given to me. So once again, he steps out and says, I am on an equal basis as God. And that's exactly what they heard. That's exactly what they heard. All right. So, Again, he presents all of this. He's doing things on the Sabbath. And he says, here's who I am. I am all of these things, which means I am equal with God the Father. I am the same as God the Father. There again, I'll just say it one more time. Human government hates to hear that there's an authority higher than them. And that government, that Jewish ruling government at the time had a whole system built for themselves. And here's this man standing up and proving it with these miracles that God is in your midst. God has come and is in your midst. Huge threat to their security, huge threat to their power, to their control. 
All right. I, I think we have time, maybe. Got a couple of minutes. I want to at least introduce this and we'll come back to it. But this is so important right at this point that we, we get this. The next statement that Jesus makes, he says, I can of myself do nothing. In fact, I'm going to read this from the Amplified. Let's go back and let's pick up verse uh, 19 with it because these two go together. You doing okay? Yeah. All right. Verse 19 with it. Jesus says, he answered them by saying, I assure you most solemnly I say to you, I'm in the Amplified again, the son can do nothing of himself of his own accord unless it is something he sees the father doing for whatever things the father does, the son in his turn also does in the same way. And he comes back to this down in verse 30 and he says, I can do nothing on my own initiative or authority. Just as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, fair, righteous, unbiased. Why? Because I do not seek my own will, but only the will of the Father who sent me. That statement, this is how Jesus lived on the earth. And we're going to pick this up another, another week, because I want to talk to us about consecrating ourselves on a daily basis to the will of God. To be able to look at this and say, here's Jesus. And he says, I can't do anything of myself. I can only do what I see the Father doing, what I hear the Father saying. So Jesus lived on this earth. He is God the Son. But he lived on this earth as the, under the title, the Son of Man. He lived on this earth as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, living under the old covenant when he lived, but living in covenant relationship with the Father, filled with the Holy Spirit under the authority of the Father. Everything we see him do, and again, we're just going to pull little parts out of the Gospels during this study, but as you read through the Gospels, you think about, okay, one time he he spit on the ground and made mud and put it on a blind man's eyes and had him go wash, and the man was healed. Why did he do that? Because he saw the Father doing it. That may not answer all of your questions, but that's why he did it, because he saw the Father doing it. He, uh, one day he, he finished preaching and, and the disciples went out to cross the lake, got into a big storm. He walked out there and the Bible tells us he was just going to walk right by him. He was going to walk right past him. And they're all freaking out. I mean, they're going to drown. And he was going to walk right past them. It's like, why? Because that's what he saw the father doing at the moment. And, and then they cried out. And he came into the boat. The storm ceased. They got to the other side. And as I was thinking about that, the Lord just spoke to my heart. Sometimes you're not going to hear my voice until I hear yours. Okay? Sometimes you're not going to hear my voice. Until I hear yours. It wasn't until those disciples said, we need you. We're drowning. We're freaking out over here. Then he came. There are those times in our life. This is not, we don't live in, if it's God's will, it'll just be done on the earth. We don't have to do anything. We just wait. If it's God's will, it'll happen. If, if it's not God's will, it won't happen. That's not the way the will of God works. He's chosen. It could be the way it works, but it isn't. He's chosen to partner with us. He's chosen to 
to speak things into the earth through us. We live in your will be done on earth as it is in heaven as a prayer for us, as a lifestyle for us, your will, God, it be done on this earth as it is being done in heaven. But that's that's because we are being involved. God has a role and a place for you in bringing his will to pass in your sphere of influence, in your area with people around you. And that's not scary. That's not, oh my gosh, I don't think I can do that. That's a huge privilege. It's an amazing privilege. It's, it's an amazing thing that God has chosen to work with us this, will, this way. But, you know, there was a day where Jesus got up in the morning and he went out to pray and he'd healed a bunch of people the night before and Peter went out and he said, man, everybody is at my house. The whole town is at my house wanting you to come back. And Jesus says, we need to go other places. Why? Because that's what the father said. You know, some of this stuff doesn't make sense to us, but that's what the father said. So just wrapping this up, this is also the way for us to live. And you don't have to be weird and spooky and, you know, I can't go to the bathroom without hearing from God. You know, it isn't like that. But we are supposed to be hearing from the Father. And we can talk about, you know, we can remind ourselves how we do that. You're designed for it. You're made to be able to hear what God's speaking to you. Okay? We're, we're supposed to be having the kind of communion with the Lord where we can see what he's doing and what he wants, what he's doing. And then we align our lives with that. It's called consecration, okay? So I got to stop there. I want to go off into a bunch of other scriptures, but we are way out of time. So um, so let's just pray together. And then Wendy's going to come make another announcement to us uh, today. But let's just pray together. Why don't, why don't you, I want you to stay seated. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just going to have you sit down again in a second. Let's just pray together. Father, Lord, we see these things about Jesus. We see who he is. And number one, Lord, we again today, we we accept him. We realize that, Lord Jesus, you are Lord. You are God. You are the way of salvation. And we give ourselves to that truth. And we see in your scripture that you have raised us up to be seated with you in heavenly places. You have seen... Uh, You have seen to it, Lord, that you have imparted and shared your authority, Lord, in this earth with us. And Father, we are your church. We are your hands and your feet. And Lord, we carry an anointing in this earth. It's not to be haughty. It's really humbling. But Lord, you have an assignment for us. There There is your will over the whole earth. But Lord, there is a part of that that we play. And this morning, I just pray for everybody that hears this. Well, even if they listen to it later on the podcast, whatever. Father, that Lord, we come, we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Show me what to do. Speak to my heart. Help me to fulfill your will and your purpose in this earth. I receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit in my life to do things I could never do. Lord, I could never do in my flesh. And you don't want me to do it in my flesh. Lord, you have a plan. You have a purpose. And Lord, I pray today over all of the places that we will go and all of the people that we will touch, not just this weekend, but beyond, Lord, in our work and our families, our extended families, those, some of those uh, just unexpected encounters that you spoke to us about earlier, Lord. Father, in all of those, we ask for and believe we receive your leading and your guiding. And that when we don't have the words to speak, you give us those words. When we don't know what to do, you show us. 
And so, Lord, we receive that today, and we thank you for it. What a privilege, what an honor, in Jesus' name. If you can agree with that, say amen. All right, why don't you stand to your feet, and we'll be dismissed this morning. If you want prayer for anything, if you need personal prayer this morning, please come up after. I'd be happy to pray with you. And um, otherwise, we always have some great snacks out here. We invite everybody to hang around, get to know some people, enjoy yourself, fellowship together. We have our table set up outside now. It's beautiful out. So stay around for a while and make some friends, okay? So we're going to say this. We always do on the count of three. We say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world, and then we're going to be dismissed. All right. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. You guys go out there and be the church. listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.